Excuse me. 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 everybody, and welcome to Morgandorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated Teenage Misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at Season 3, Episode 11, Just Add Water, in which a school fundraiser aboard a luxury liner leaves Daria and Jane in need of sleep, Quinn in need of a shower, and Helen and Jake in need of counseling. This episode aired on August 11th, 1999, and it was written by Peggy Nichol. Nichol has given us The Lab Brat, The Daria Hunter, and Fair Enough, which bounced around from mediocre to outright terrible. Uh, But she also gave us Gifted, which had wonderful moments. So who knows what's in store? I actually originally had that written down as gifted was wonderful. And then I went back through our episode rankings and realized that is not really what we thought of it. (laughs) Yeah. It ended up being a little lower than I guess we both expected going into it. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually under fair enough. So, (laughs) Well, fair enough was really solid on the character front. You know, we we loved Fair Enough because every character was was placed perfectly in the Renaissance Fair scene. Yeah. Man, I got to go back and watch Fair Enough at some point. I feel like I have a much worse impression of it than what it actually was. And we might have had this exact conversation during that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fun. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I figure let's get this little bit of uh, of housekeeping out of the way <laughs> right off right off the top. Uh, we are operating on a little bit of a delay. <laughs> We're having a little bit of connection uh, stuff. So if this episode feels a little weird, it's because we feel a little weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we want to get into our beat by beat? I suppose we should. Daria and Jane are eating lunch when they're approached by Jody, who's looking to sell tickets to the school's latest fundraising effort, a casino night aboard the Princess Ferry Luxury Liner. They have to turn it down, though, because there's an all-night Six Sad World Marathon on Friday that'll leave them too tired for much of anything on Saturday. The fashion club, however, is all about it. They chat to Kelly's Heroes by Black Grape. Quinn's excited about her date with, quote, the most popular guy in school, Rex, while Sandy's excited about her date with, quote, the most popular guy in school, Brent, and so a conflict is born. You know, it is truly impossible to hear the name Rex without thinking of Rex Manning Day from Empire Records. (laughs) Oh, Rexy, you're so sexy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Empire Records would be a movie that you <laughs> you would be obsessed with. I was truly obsessed with that movie when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like just about everybody our age uh, kind of is like Empire Records was the in the airplane over the sea of indie movies. <laughs> yes. Everyone had their moment with it. My moment was quite extended. Just like your love affair. (laughs) Still in the moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Over in Miss Lee's office, full clip by Gangstar plays as Mr. DiMartino is trying to get out of being a volunteer for casino night, but it's not working out so well. In fact, Miss Lee goes ahead and makes the night mandatory for all staff and students. At the salon, Quinn's getting her hair done when in walks Marco, a talcum powder model who's apparently a huge deal. Uh, Quinn attracts Marco's attention by talking about how concerned she is with oh, how concerned she is with caring for the less fortunate. And after literally 16 seconds of conversation, she decides she he decides she's really thoughtful and asks her out on a date Saturday night. She notes she has a seafaring casino night to attend that evening, 
but he's fine with it because he looks great on a boat. And suddenly, Quinn's got just what she needs to edge Sandy out. So do you want to talk about Ms. Lee first? (laughs) I suppose so. She's sitting at her desk in the principal's office reading a weapons and ammo magazine. (laughs) She wants to get, what what is it that she wants to get for the school? Um, She wants wants to get like a supercharged electric fence or something like that. Yes. (laughs) This would already be pretty bizarre if we weren't also all of like four months removed from the Columbine school shooting. Uh, episodes took like 10 months to produce, so there's a chance it was already animated and they just couldn't get changed in time. But it seems like a crazy oversight. On the other hand, a school administrator believing the only way to properly protect her school would be military-grade weapons is, for 1999, oddly prescient. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Prescient? That's that's how I say it. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be said. I always said it prescient. <laughs> Uh, I would also just go prescient. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps all of these are valid ways to say it, or perhaps this is just a sign that we never talk to people. <laughs> Why can't it be both? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe people don't actually say the word ever. <laughs> <laughs> They just write it to hope they to hope they look yes. educated. <laughs> As someone once said to me, <laughs> this, this reminds me of this: real people don't use the Oxford comma. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Just just no, let it let it even... hang there. <laughs> My brain just froze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, maybe real people don't actually say prescient or prescient or prescient, whatever it is. <laughs> we're not real people, Rob. No, no, we're podcast hosts. Well, I totally derailed that conversation. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose by now we should be used to this, but Marco appears to be a grown-ass man, and he is hitting on what we presume is a 16-year-old girl. What's more, she tells him she's in high school, and he just doesn't even flinch. Like The, the parade of older men looking to get with Quinn is never going to stop being creepy. Agreed. Agreed. It's, I mean, it's just creepy. <laughs> and, but, you know, I, I would like to stop and just silently consider what being a talcum powder model involves. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I feel like that is a, <laughs> I feel like that is an inspired bit of writing <laughs> because. <laughs> A talcum powder model is like exactly, (laughs) it's exactly the saddest thing. (laughs) He is, he is quite a sad character. And you mentioned the thing about, uh, Helen Morgendorfer. Oh God. Yeah. I'm going back to Ms. Lee's, Ms. Lee's scene. Uh, she says that Helen Morgendorfer once said she was allergic to crepe paper to get out of helping with a school function, and that makes her my hero, hands down. <laughs> that's an amazing excuse. Yeah, that's a that woman is a lawyer. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, so it's maybe like a little too early to make this observation. But this is already feeling just a little bit similar to Fair Enough, which is, I believe, the last episode that Peggy Nichol gave us. Like, we have the mandatory fundraiser, the unwilling Daria and Jane. You know, we have this, like, weirdly overt rivalry between Sandy and Quinn, where normally it's a little more subtle. I guess we kind of have to see where it goes, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we ranked fair enough, fairly high. Um, And, you know, it's TV. It runs on formulas, right? (laughs) Um, 
It's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, that it's not necessarily a bad thing. I will say that this last scene in the salon, you know, itself has a really nice arc. We start with Quinn lamenting that Sandy calls her shallow and the set, the scene then ends with her being told that she's very thoughtful. So it's, it's some good writing there. It works. (laughs) I, I don't love that. It's literally 16 seconds. Like I counted, damn it. Like, but also, like he is exactly the kind of person who would make that kind of judgment after that small an amount of time. So it really does work out. But I mean, isn't that what Quinn is really looking for? She's looking for that, you know, shallow judgment on her depth. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad point. That's damn quotable, actually. That should be on a poster. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At the Morgendorfer residence that night, Helen's trying to get dinner together while Jake's trying to brag about something he did at work while Helen is barely listening. He suggests she could be more supportive of his career. She loses it at him. He loses it at her. And we cut straight to a super awkward dinner table. (laughs) Helen and Jake are both eager to squirm out of any volunteering responsibilities for the casino night. For a moment, Jake gets volunteered to drop Quinn off until she insists Marco will pick her up. And it continues like that until they both find out that the casino night will actually be aboard the Princess Ferry. Jake's thrilled at the opportunity to make a sales pitch to ownership, and Helen, feeling the sudden need to be supportive, reluctantly agrees to go with him. And just like that, the entire Morgendorfer family will be hitting the open seas. The night of the Six Ad World Marathon, Daria and Jane plant themselves on the Morgendorfer couch for what looks like maybe 12 hours of spectacular television. Uh, by the end of it, the living room is awash in daylight and our intrepid protagonists are basically dead to the world and in desperate need of sleep. And that's the end of Act One. I feel like the further we get into this series, the more I relate to Helen. <laughs> 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 This scene where she's trying to get the, uh, what, what is it, the casserole dish out of the microwave or oven or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> and she just can't seem to, to touch it without burning herself. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm simultaneously going, what the hell is taking her so long to figure this out? And Oh my God, Helen, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's looking for the other oven mitt. She's dealing with Jake, who's talking about something or other, whatever the hell. And, and there's just so much that's like not going wrong for her in that moment, but just not going right for her in that moment. <laughs> and it's so hardcore relatable. <laughs> I, I was going to say that moment where. They're at the dinner table and, and Jake says, you'll, you'll do it. You'll volunteer with me. You'll do the supportive wife thing. And she's like, um, sure. <laughs> I feel like she, <laughs> she's just not having a good night. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't think the, the episode doesn't go out of its way to paint her at least not yet to paint her as like the villain in this discussion at all, but it's also not like painting her in the most positive light. Uh, And I'm honestly finding it hard to ding her for not really paying attention to Jake here. Like I'm not trying to get dinner on the table. And even I find it hard to stay interested in whatever the hell he's talking about. Even now I've watched this episode like two times in the last couple of days. I'm having trouble remembering what he was saying. I was paying full attention to him. And I still don't remember what it is. I think it was floating keychains or some shit. I don't know. Something about atomic bombs or something. Oh, what? <laughs> no, no. Um, so, or something about glowing floating keychains. <laughs> I think I think that had to have been it, right? Something. I don't know. Who cares? It's Jake. It doesn't matter. At least we're getting a better idea of what he does for a living. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. Small victories here and there. As the night approaches and everybody gets into their formal wear, Daria is in exactly the same place she was that morning, head under a pillow, trying to catch up on sleep. God, I feel that. 
she wakes up just long enough to mock Quinn, who's freaking out because Marco has apparently stood her up. Helen placates Quinn momentarily by suggesting maybe Marco's meeting her at the boat, but then we cut to Quinn alone on the boat as it leaves for the dock, or as it leaves the dock. Uh, she's been stood up. Mr. DiMartino walks into the casino, and it becomes abundantly clear why he was trying so hard to get out of volunteering. He's got a gambling problem. It's apparently been a huge issue for him before. He freaks out to Mr. O'Neill, who does what he can to use his words before he straight up slaps Mr. DiMartino to calm him down. Uh, meanwhile, Daria and Jane enter the casino floor and successfully lose their chips immediately. Mr. DiMartino tries to give them his chips, but they turn him down, even though Mr. O'Neill's about to become a sacrificial lamb over at the poker table. Yikes. Yeah. It's, I, I, I have found that maybe more this season than any other, I have come out of episodes feeling really bad for Mr. DiMartino, and it's happening again. You know, addiction is not look the show this show isn't attempting to do anything heavy and so i'm not gonna like place that burden of responsibility on the show but also like addiction is no laughing matter and and it's a it's a serious thing and i feel bad for this guy because he really cannot catch a break all of that being said kind of funny watching mr mr o'neill slap him oh yeah i Definitely didn't expect Mr. O'Neill to slap him, and I was pleasantly surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Miss Barch is rubbing off on him in more ways than one. Hey. Oh, God damn it. You got to it before I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which is impressive considering the time lag. <laughs> That's a good point. That means I was a full five seconds behind on that joke. <laughs> so... It was it was pretty predictable, um, but I appreciated the little subversion of Daria and Jane saying, "Wouldn't it be ironic if we ended up winning when they place all of their chips on one thing just to like get rid of them?" Uh, followed immediately by them losing everything. Yeah, it was a very Daria moment. I think it wasn't hilarious, but it was it was pretty good. It it got a it got a snicker. I have to say that. The scenario of them staying up all night to watch the six ad world marathon and them just being dead to the world the next day and, you know, dragged to, you know, the, the school function, you know, the family responsibility, whatever. It's, it definitely makes me feel like a teenager again watching them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, and, and even them having planned to do nothing. That next day and trying to block out time to do nothing, I, you know, I'm like, I, I <laughs> definitely been there. It's like, man, I am 16 and nobody around me understands that I was up until four in the morning watching Syphil and Ollie. <laughs> I just need to rest. <laughs> and it was really, really important that I stayed up until four in the morning watching Syphil and Ollie. <laughs> it was extremely important. I have a VCR. I don't care. <laughs> At the buffet line, uh, the other three members of the fashion club are wondering where Quinn could be. Uh, Jonathan Parker's Gateways Research Institute, by subliminal creativity, plays in the background. Uh, Quinn does show up, having apparently gotten herself together, and makes a decent enough excuse for Marco's absence that he got stuck at a photo shoot. Sandy's not buying it, but Quinn says he might show up later, via helicopter. So let's go ahead and see how well that, that works out. Uh, Sandy promises Quinn not to tell anyone she's been stood up, which Quinn takes as a measure of comfort right up until she leaves to grab some punch. And Sandy immediately tells the room that Quinn's been stood up. So between the, again, like it's this weird, you know, completely different from the normal scenario. It's Sandy and Quinn sniping at one another. This feels a whole lot like Peggy Nichols' previous episodes. I'm thinking, you know, we already mentioned Fair Enough, but I'm also thinking back to the Daria Hunter, you know, which was this bizarrely, bizarrely placed thing with a lot of these same little bits running through it. I feel like the rivalry in this episode is particularly, I don't know, just mean. <laughs> I, I, it makes me cringe to see how terrible they are to each other. I, at least in the Daria Hunter, I thought it was kind of, I thought in the Daria Hunter, it was, I don't know, funny, you know, it, it was really kind of the first time that we were seeing the, the rivalry 
to this extent, although it didn't involve weapons. <laughs> Here, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what it is that seems so mean, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the nature of this, like, of the setting, you know, the fact that they're, they're supposed to be enjoying themselves. They're kind of secluded on this boat, isolated on this boat is probably the better way to say it. And, you know, it, it just feels like, ew, <laughs> why do this now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rough to watch. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? No, no, I have no idea why. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird episode. It's not like I'm not I'm not hating it or anything. I don't dislike this episode. It's just it feels very much like a couple of other episodes we've already seen. Uh, and I I don't know what to think of that. So, my one complaint about this episode is that so far I feel like it really could happen anywhere. So what's the point of them being on a boat? <laughs> I I don't it's know. Good, it's, just, it's a good question. <laughs> I mean, this could have easily been a school dance, um, you know, sponsored by rich people or something so that, you know, we can loop Jake into the plot. You know, it it could have happened anywhere. It could have been a party, you know, in you know, at somebody's house. I don't know. But, you know, the boat just doesn't seem to work its way into plot, theme, whatever, um, as much as I would expect it to fit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is, again, I think that reflects back to this plot being very similar to other plots we've seen uh, in the interchangeable part is the setting. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of the beats that we got out of the Daria Hunter, and fair enough, were very similar to the beats we're getting here. It's just the setting was wildly different for each of those. And now the setting here is wildly different. And, you know, the beats we're getting are the same. You know, again, it's not it's not bad. It's just not great either. And it's just kind of leaving me like meh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, at the poker table, Mr. DiMartino's cleaning up and falling down the <laughs> addiction rabbit hole. Uh, meanwhile, over at the bar, we meet the ship's captain, who is drunk as hell and getting yelled at by the owner. Jake senses an opportunity to strike up a conversation with the owner and his wife. It doesn't really work out, as the owner needs to go tend to the captain, and so Jake's left to drink at the bar while Helen tries to make friendly conversation with Dee Dee, the owner's wife. Mr. O'Neill swings by looking to buy a drink but manages to suck Helen into the ongoing poker game instead, leaving Jake alone with Dee Dee, who is, uh, looking to mingle. Meanwhile, Daria and Jane appear to have finally found a space to grab some sleep, but their efforts are interrupted by Kevin and Brittany, who are looking to, quote, join the Mile High Club. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> they realize Daria and Jane are present. Uh, they accuse our sleepy protagonists of voyeurism and rush off to find some privacy. The Mile High Club. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a little bit to appreciate about Kevin here. Uh the the first being that the Mile High Club crack, which is just absolutely fantastic. Uh and the second being his short sleeve tuxedo top. Oh, I loved that detail. I definitely laughed at that. Um they're just they're just so precious. <laughs> uh also we don't dive into the sex lives of the Morgador for parents very often. I will dip my toe in to say this much. I'm pretty sure Jake would not survive an encounter with Dee Dee. I don't think many people would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that lady, that, that lady would eat your head like a praying mantis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, back at the bar, Jake's with Dee Dee trying to talk his way into a consultancy job. She's not interested. Or rather, she's interested, but not in his consultancy. Uh, he lets out his own version of the Morgendorfer Eep and flees the scene, while the bartender, who has presumably seen this sort of thing before, just stands there and smirks. 
Over at the poker table, it's now Helen, Mr. Martino, and Ms. Lee. Mr. Martino's losing. Ms. Lee tries to tell him that losing doesn't matter because it's only a game, and Helen reveals she has a winning hand, causing Ms. Lee to get pissed at losing. Ms. Lee is so pissed at losing here. She, she turns so red. I really thought that like ammo and weapons magazine would come in handy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So just some quick math here. Uh, The chance of having a full house is 0.1441%, while the chance of having a straight flush is 0.00139%, which means the hand we just witnessed had about a 0.0002% chance of happening, or about 1 in 5,000. I needed to know, so I looked it up. Wow. So we just witnessed something (laughs) rare. So, but it's a good thing that it's a work of fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Nissa says, cool stats, nerd. Please move on. (laughs) It's actually really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But you are a nerd. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Well, you know, we're, we're just different sorts of nerds. That's all. (laughs) Yes, we are two different species. (laughs) Species of nerds. There's some crossover. Yes. For example, I think I introduced you to Doctor Who. Yes, you did. And I just ran with it. (laughs) (laughs) So Kevin and Brittany have, it appears, found their privacy in the Princess Fairy's extremely rundown lifeboat. Uh, Their combined weight is enough to snap the old ropes holding the lifeboat up and it plunges into the water. The two are being left behind by the ship and don't appear likely to catch up anytime soon as Kevin accidentally drops the lifeboat's oars. Uh, the only ones in a position to help are Daria and Jane, who apparently can't hear Kevin and Brittany's cries, even though we super can. Anyway, Daria and Jane are just about to get back to sleep when they're interrupted by Quinn, who needs their advice. And that's the end of Act 2. You know, for all of Kevin's athletic prowess, I was just so shocked at how he handled those oars. <laughs> like, really? It was amazing how he just like he touched them and then he just immediately let them go. <laughs> they were like they were butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh uh, also, we're we're not going to get into the whole diegetic versus non-diegetic thing again, uh, or the discussion over where, whether this is yet another example of Daria being cavalier with human lives. Um, oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> but it is a little weird that we're hearing Kevin and Brittany while Daria and Jane supposedly aren't. Uh, that being said, having been on a cruise, it's extraordinarily tough to hear anything over the sounds of the boat and the ocean. It's tough, especially at night. Like, there's a reason that falling overboard on a cruise ship, if it happens and nobody sees it, is basically guaranteed death. Like, for realsies, according to an article by Quartz reporter Rosie Spinks, uh, the rate of rescue is only somewhere around 17%, and that's factoring in those who went overboard with others around to see it and raise an alarm immediately. Crazy, and we're probably spending too much time on it, but it's a particular fear of mine, so this scene sends me into straight-up nightmare mode. So this is actually really new information to me. Like, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, <laughs> but, but I, I had no idea that the chance of rescue was so low. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, it makes sense, but it's not something I have thought about. Um, but also... Haven't you been on a cruise before? I've been on and several this cruises. Is like yeah. a particular fear of yours, right? So, like, were you a mess the entire time? <laughs> or, you know, did you figure out how to compartmentalize? <laughs> <laughs> so it's very easy to stay away from the railings on the boat. Uh, it's a floating city block. There's other stuff to do. You'll be fine. But it's still like. You know, if one time we were, we were lucky enough to have a balcony and that was very nice. But, you know, if, if, if you're out there and it's nighttime and you just look basically straight down, like because the boats don't tend to go out at all, they tend to just be like straight, uh, straight up and down sides. 
so if you just like look out and down, you're just staring down a whole bunch of stories straight into the water. To your death. Yeah, exactly. And and uh and at night, you know, when you've got you've got the sound of the boat going through the water, you've got the sound of the wind that's kind of, you know, rushing all over the place. Um, you've got the noise of whatever's happening on the boat. Like there's usually, you know, there's almost always a bar nearby. There's almost always like some kind of screen or something going. Like it's very tough to find quiet <laughs> on uh, any of the any of the outside decks of a of a cruise ship. Uh, and you look down at that water, and yeah, it doesn't make immediate sense that falling overboard on a boat would be like, especially in you know. 2020 that falling overboard on a boat would be like basically a death sentence but it super is because one there's the distance between where you're at and the water which is usually pretty significant there's did you hit anything on the way down which there's a good chance you did like maybe you know if the Mm -hmm. lifeboats are sticking out a bit or something and then there's the fact that once you're actually down there you know the decks are all the decks where you can actually like look over the railing and stuff tend to be really high up so if you're all the way down there, it doesn't seem like it from where you're at, you know, up higher up. But like a, a person in the water, there's it's like it's like a pinhead, you know. It's just a very very tiny, tiny speck in the middle of all this surf and everything that's happening. And then, you know, you have all of what like maybe thirty seconds before you're just pew, you're in the background, you know, you're gone. And then then you're in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Right. And then there's like the drag of the water, you know, um, with the movement of the boat. I imagine that right brings you down a bit. Yeah. So, so it's just like, it's such a, basically if you, if you fall overboard a cruise ship at night and no one immediately spots you or watched it happen, chances are it's over. And that is terrifying. (laughs) So here's my question. Do you think that the moment when Daria and Jane don't hear them fall off the boat, or at least they say they don't hear them, do you think that was for, you know, the effect of realism as you're arguing here, or well, not arguing, but as you're pointing out here, (laughs) or do you think it was for comedic effect? I mean, it has to have been for comedic effect, right? Like... I just okay. feel like there's no other way to play it. <laughs> yeah. Just getting things straight. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise this turns into an oddly serious episode of Daria. <laughs> anyway, sorry about my five minute cruise ship nightmare diversion. Well, here's another little um, side note <laughs> is that I noticed when you say the Princess Fairy, your South Jersey accent. Uh, slips in and it sounds almost like fairy. Fairy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually I've picked yeah. up on that as I've been saying it, and it's killing me a little bit. <laughs> Glad to point uh, it out. <laughs> it is the princess fairy, F I R Y, F A I R Y. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you just said fairy, though. No. <laughs> Look, okay, it's the princess F A I R Y. You ain't got no alibi. <laughs> I, you know, just in case anybody was wondering, you know, if you're listening and you're not from where we are, and you're like, what the hell is he saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the lucky thing is fairy works too. It's just... It just doesn't make as much sense when... Anyway. Well, hold on. It's just not as magical. It's Yeah, it's not as magical. I would argue it does, in fact, make more sense than Princess Fairy. But if they're saying, like, the Princess Fairy cruise ship, like, why would they say Fairy cruise ship? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Hop in the car vehicle. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. South Jersey does interesting things with language. We're not proud of them, but we do flaunt them regardless. I find them fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) So we open act three with Quinn begging Daria and Jane for advice. Uh, Daria's advice is simple. Act like you don't care. Over at the poker table, it's down to Helen and Ms. Lee, and it's getting heated. Uh, They've drawn a crowd. Jake joins said crowd, trying to get Helen's attention, but Helen's glued to the game, and Jake is getting upset. 
Back to Daria and Jane we go, and the rest of the fashion club has dropped by because they're worried about Quinn. Daria, feeling charitable, confirms Quinn's story, that Marco called from his shoot, and Quinn didn't get stood up. Sandy leaves, disappointed, and Daria blames her kind act on sleep deprivation. Man, these girls seriously cannot get a minute of peace. Yes, similarly to how I how I super sympathized with Helen earlier in this episode in the kitchen. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I (laughs) have nothing to add to that. (laughs) There's a good chance I edited, there's a good chance I edited it. So y'all might not hear it, but I completely forgot that the leave a sentence right in the middle so that the other person could pick it up. Thing super doesn't work when there's like a four second delay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will say uh, Daria's frustration is pretty evident. You know, she doesn't really hide it, but her sisterly advice here is like legitimately good. And then she does a, again, a, legit, uh, a legitimately nice thing for Quinn. Like, I don't know. This is, I, I really enjoy it, much like I enjoy Jane Lane, best friend. I really, really do like Daria Morgendorfer, good sister. Her sisterly advice is very much, you know, a thing that Daria would say because Daria always acts like she does not care. I mean, the weird thing about this, of course, is that it also gets her into trouble, right? You know, as right. she's expressed before, you know, she acts like she doesn't care, but she really does. When So when people behave as if she doesn't care, she cares even more <laughs> <laughs> or it bothers her. <laughs> But in this instance, yeah, the advice works. <laughs> Out in who the hell knows where on the open ocean, uh, Kevin stands up in the lifeboat and immediately falls overboard, soaking the matches he was hoping to light to get attention. Back on the ship, Mr. O'Neill's standing at the bow and is approached by Dee Dee, who does the whole I'm flying Jack thing from Titanic and stands on the railing. We hear an instrumental version of Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On as Mr. O'Neill holds onto her waist like she asks, but the moment is fleeting as Ms. Barch approaches, shoves Dee Dee overboard, throws her life preserver, and then stands on the railing herself and demands Mr. O'Neill give her the rose treatment. Mr. O'Neill's status, flummoxed. He really has no idea what's going on. No, No, he is completely hapless. (laughs) But of course, for those of you who don't know, this is a reference to Titanic, which came out when? Uh, Only about a year and a half prior to this, so 1997. And it was a really, really popular movie. So (laughs) Mr. O'Neill's just living under a rock. (laughs) It was the highest grossing movie of all time (laughs) at that time. Yeah. They held that until Avatar, if I remember correctly. I think it's a much better movie than Avatar. Really? Yeah, I would say so. It's Titanic is not a bad movie. Like. It gets shit on a lot more than it probably should. It's not like great or anything, but it's it's done well. It's been a really long time since I've seen it, and I do remember loving it, but I also remember many of my questionable, you know, <laughs> loves <laughs> of that time. <clears throat> so <laughs> I don't always trust my teenage self. Except for <laughs> with Empire Records. I was just you know. about to say. <laughs> it's, that's forever. <laughs> so I can't come down on Daria and Jane for their, you know, not, I guess it's not a negligent homicide attempt, but I can't come down on uh, on them for whatever happened with Kevin and Brittany without coming down on Ms. Barch for straight up trying to kill a person here. <laughs> it's... Also, probably worth noting that we are adding yet again to the similarities between this episode and Peggy Nichols' previous episodes, as Ms. Barch is similarly violent in The Daria Hunter, and fair enough. Right, right. Um, we've got uh, quite a few violent or at least hostile women in this episode. You know, not only Ms. Barch, but Ms. Lee and Sandy is just at Quinn's throat. <laughs> <laughs> DD, but that's probably a different type of violent. Yeah, yeah, you know, violent and aggressive. How about that? Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, over on the bridge, Jake is sharing a beer with the captain, who is extraordinarily drunk, to the point of straight up abandoning his post and leaving Jake in control of the ship. Which kind of sucks for Jake, because the ship's now on a collision course with a trash barge, which we get a dramatic shot of to the tune of Pure Morning by Placebo. Dari and Jane find their sleep interrupted yet again, this time by an angry Helen, who's looking for Jake, because Jake's interruption costs her the poker game. Jake finds them all, it turns out, because he's rushing to report the imminent disaster. Instead, he gets sucked into an argument with Helen, which rages until the fog appears to roll in. Except, as Daria points out, that's not fog, it's methane. The trash barge approacheth. It's neither here nor there, really, but methane is an invisible gas. You couldn't spot it rolling in like a fog, uh, although it can be mixed with other gases that you would see. Well, you know, if you couldn't see it rolling in, it would, you know, it would really make sense in a cartoon. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Let's think of the medium here. Come on. <laughs> Once again, Nissa, cool stats nerd. <laughs> Shut up and get on with the beat by beat. On the casino floor, Quinn's being hit on by basically everybody's dates when the barge strikes the ship panic immediately ensues the ship's owner goes looking for the lifeboat which is gone which is a huge problem because there's only one for the whole ship which is in violation of like a ton of laws but you know whatever Uh, anyway the ship starts listing and everybody starts leaping overboard and freaking out only to realize the boat's in maybe three feet of water and they can just stand up which they do to What's My Age Again by Blink-182, and Rob falls into a nostalgic coma. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Sandy pretends to be drowning until she realizes she looks like a dipshit, at which point her date dumps her, and everybody hears it, meaning Quinn is no longer the focus of the gossip. Inside the ship, Ms. Barch and Mr. O'Neill make out while the water calmly rises to about hip level. Car ride home is a fucking mess. Quinn is happy about Sandy taking the heat, no doubt, but she's beset on both sides by a soaked Daria and Jane, who keep falling asleep on her shoulders. All this while Helen and Jake are still fighting over the poker game. Off on the side of the road somewhere nearby, Dee Dee has found her way to dry ground, and along comes Marco, who is quite late, but appears to have found his way into a date nonetheless. Meanwhile, out on the water, storm clouds roll in as Brittany begins beating Kevin with her purse, and we roll credits to The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Rest in peace, Kenny. Wow. So so the physics of this crash. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? I mean, so so they crash into the barge. Yes. And right? Yeah. Okay, so they crash into the barge, and they're also just in like three feet of water. So how are how were they even moving in the first place? And how are the people jumping into the water not suffering from broken legs? <laughs> <laughs> well, Nissa, I think we need to remember the medium. Damn it. <laughs> I'm eating my words. <laughs> I mean, it's just its just a lot to accept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, okay, especially a boat that size, like not a ton of it is going to be under the water. So, you know, whatever. But if everyone's going to just kind of like get out and stand up, then, you know, you're much better off having this be like, a different kind of thing. Like maybe it hits a sandbar or something like that. Like there's got to be another reason for this thing right. <laughs> sinking five inches and causing everybody to freak out and jump overboard. And and if it's sank five inches, then how is water gathering to the extent that it is in the cabin? <laughs> <laughs> it's all very good. I mean, there's a, a lot of information that is really difficult for for me to process and accept. <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much here that I'm willing to to believe. So I'm I'm glad that Marco is going to end up with someone who's actually legal. But who knows what Didi has in store for a guy like that? Oh boy! May God have mercy on his soul. Yeah. I thought it was actually kind of sweet that he was trying to get to the date. 
<laughs> right? That was such a that was such a nice little like aw moment right at the end. Yeah. It was one of those all oh, bless his heart kind of moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh God help that simple boy. Yes. Uh, also, I totally didn't even think of it until now, but uh, the proximity of this luxury liner cruise uh, further cements Lawndale to somewhere in the mid-Atlantic. Oh, hey. Yeah. And therefore, somewhere super far from wherever the hell they were in Speed Trapped. Yeah, that was just a strange, strange anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pretend that it didn't happen. I feel like... I always feel weird when we kind of run through an episode like that. Like, I mean, we're an hour into recording now, so it's not like, you know, it's not like we gave this thing no time whatsoever, but I feel like we did run through a lot of that. But also, I just feel like there wasn't a whole lot to say. Like, it's yeah, it's a plot that we've seen before, you know, and, and you know, some of the interactions are different and the the boat is obviously a new setting, but a lot of this is stuff, you know, it's ground that we've already kind of tread. Yeah, yeah. So there's no point really hashing it out too much. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, uh, do we want to go into our cultural context? Mm, yes, we do. Uh, there are previous episodes where the cultural context is obvious. To bring up two of Peggy Nichols' previous episodes which we've mentioned already, the Daria Hunter and Fair Enough, uh, they're two great examples. Cultural context for those was easy. Vietnam and medieval times? Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Done. <laughs> Sometimes, though, <laughs> the cultural context is less obvious, and that tends to be pretty daunting. But every now and then, the fates shine upon you, and the show's creators place at your feet a detail so wonderful you cannot help but investigate. And so we arrive at the eternal question. What's up with that trash barge? I'm so glad you asked because I think there's a reason. A trash barge smelling of methane made it into this episode. And I think it has to do with a real life trash barge that caused a real life fiasco back in real life 1987. Its name was the Mobro 4000. It carried more than 3,000 tons of Long Island, New York's garbage, and it may very well be the only trash barge ever to, according to one NBC reporter, be chased by warplanes. Warplanes! <laughs> <laughs> the story of the Mobro 4000's bizarre journey started on March 22nd, 1987, when the barge, carrying 3,100 tons of garbage from Islip, New York, that's I-S-L-I-P, Islip, New York, <laughs> left port <laughs> bound for Louisiana. Uh, ships or trains carrying garbage from cities to more rural areas was absolutely nothing new at the time, as landfill space around cities tends to be at a premium. So there wasn't anything all that unusual about the Mobro 4000. According to a 2013 article from Vice's Alex Pasternak, the barge owner, a mobster named Salvatore Avellino, one-time chauffeur to mob boss Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo. <laughs> Tony Ducks. <laughs> I wonder if ducks is a verb there or a noun. <laughs> Oh, you can't get the Tony. You can try, but you can't get the Tony. <laughs> he ducks. <laughs> He's a good ducker. <laughs> He's the best. Tony, the that's best ducker. ducker. <laughs> You're never going to meet a ducker like Tony. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the barge's owner, Salvatore Evelino, bought the garbage for $86 per ton uh, intended to bury it in Louisiana at the cost of $5 per ton. Hey. Then used the new technology of the day to harvest and sell the methane generated by the garbage. Which was all well and good until Avellino's partner in Louisiana neglected to actually secure the necessary rights to do any of that. Uh, and so he had to call an audible and make quick negotiations with a landfill in Moorhead, North Carolina. 
which itself might have worked, except then a photograph of the barge was taken that showed, among the refuse, a bedpan. Since mobsters of the day were notorious for hiding hazardous waste in trash barges, state officials in North Carolina grew nervous that the barge was carrying toxic waste. The barge was able to hang out in North Carolina only briefly before being forced to go find another friendly port. It sure as hell tried. Among other places, according to Pasternak, the Mobro 4000 traveled to Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, the Bahamas, Mexico, and Belize. Nobody wanted the damn thing. Um, according to an article for Newsday by Emily C. Dooley and Carl McGowan, when Mexican and Cuban officials got word of the Mobro 4000 heading their way, they threatened to fire at it with artillery. This truly was an enormous pile of shit that nobody wanted, and on June 17th, it returned home to Brooklyn, <laughs> where it sat, according to Pasternak, in legal limbo. By the time all of this transpired, Avellino's company had gone bankrupt, and the trash was nobody's responsibility. So it was burned, and the ashes were buried right where the whole damn thing started, in an islip landfill. And that's the story of the Mobro 4000. <laughs> Did it influence in any way this episode of Daria? It's impossible to say. <laughs> but now we know about the Mobro, and maybe that's good enough. It's fantastic. Also, I really hope it is pronounced Mobro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hope so too. <laughs> but considering mobsters involvement i wouldn't be surprised if it was mobro <laughs> i hope they didn't call it the fucking mobro <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this is this is my new boat the illegal shit 5000 oh <laughs> uh, i now i'm really curious about the, <laughs> the origin of this name <laughs> Well, it's there was a ton of coverage about this thing in 1987. Like there have been documentaries made about this fucking boat. So, um, if you're curious, just go check out one of those videos. I probably should have before I actually uh, committed this thing to uh, to podcast because we definitely might have uh, been pronouncing it wrong this entire time. But I don't care. I like Mobro. But as we've established earlier in this episode, we just don't know how to pronounce things. Right. This is. <laughs> our three beat <laughs> <laughs> see we're learning something <laughs> uh all right do we want to <laughs> rank this episode i guess that's kind of what we have to do huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> So uh, do we want to compare this? I mean, we already have compared it to a certain extent to the Daria Hunter, which is down at 28. Um, or do you feel like it's closer to fair enough? So it's funny you say that because I was thinking throughout this whole thing that this episode uh, strikes me as like, aggressively mediocre. Like, like there's nothing inherently bad about it, but there's also nothing particularly great about it. It's just kind of there. Mm -hmm. It is pretty, it's pretty forgettable aside from the setting, funnily enough. And I just kind of, I come out of it feeling very, eh, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so when I think, okay, something that is super middle of the road, I look at what's at the middle of the list. And what we have at the middle of the list is fair enough at 19 and gifted at 20, two other, <laughs> two other Peggy Nickel episodes. Hmm. Uh, I will say that I, so this is me, just, I'll, I'll put this out there and then, you know, we, you know, obviously if, if you disagree, I'll, I'll happily, you know, hear to the contrary. I cannot give this the nod over gifted because yeah, no, of the character moments that gifted gave us yeah okay but you know i i i'm kind of i would be okay with it sitting at 21 between gifted and daria dance party interesting okay you know i'm just looking at this list and i don't know i mean <laughs> i think it could go lower i i really I, I, so part of me is wondering 
yes, this is a rehash of Peggy Nichols' other material. I'm going to, I, I was going to ask, like, is it fair of us to judge it as such or should we like look at it, you know, on its own? But hell, we look at everything in relation to the other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so why not? Um, but I don't know. I feel like it's lower. Like, I don't know. When I look at, when I, when I look at this list, I'm thinking the scene really, the, the setting really kind of tips it for me. Like, why, why a boat? Like, and, <laughs> and even with the boat there, like, they don't get any of it, like, any of the physics <laughs> of it. Right. Right. <laughs> like, that entire last scene, it just, makes absolutely no sense and like what's that chaos ensues i'm like what the fuck is going on here (laughs) um i don't know it bothers me something in the list that is standing out to me is ill and that's the one where daria gets sick at the um at the bar or whatever the hell it is right yes which is a really strange episode, but I kind of enjoy it more than this episode. <laughs> and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so so that, that would pull it down significantly, I think. <laughs> I find myself caring so little about this episode. Um, the... The concern, well, concern, but the, I guess the, the only bone I would pick with that is when I look at like mauled and this year's model. And I think like those episodes had some pretty gross shit in them, but also I guess like the old and the beautiful is right under that. And then when you put it down there, I don't like, there are plenty of moments in, I don't that I think are, that I think stand head and shoulders above stuff in this episode. Just keep talking yourself down. Oh, man. <laughs> I think either above or below. I could live with either above or below ill. Like, I, I I, think maybe it goes a little higher, but I also can't bring myself to argue for it, you know? Like, it, it's... Right. I can't name anything. I can't latch on to anything to say like, oh, but what about this moment? What about this thing? What about this thing? What about this character arc? What about anything, really? It's just kind of there <laughs> so um i mean kevin and Brittany are i think the highlights of of this episode <laughs> kevin's short sleeve tuxedo shirt and his terrible grasp of boat wars <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite amazing i guess anywhere in that like 21 to 26 range i'd probably be okay with uh if it's toward the lower end of that then so be it you know all right, all right, all right. <laughs> or I guess I should say I guess I should say twenty one to twenty seven, given that ill is twenty six. Right. <laughs> I mean ill we have that like really strange dream sequence too, right? Yes, we have a we have a textbook three beat. We have the the really fun, like oh I forget what the old lady's name was who like supposedly died in Daria's room. <laughs> Right, but like the 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 three beats surrounding that was really really funny. We of course have like the the Daria Trent. You know, it's revealed that like her getting flustered around Trent is what gives her the the rash or whatever, and like that's that's pretty entertaining. You know, there's there's moments in there worth liking. Uh, it's also nice to see the family give a shit about Daria stuff like that. Fair enough, yeah. Um, <laughs> but see, like the fact that it, it, I, I was I was just going to say that it's also just different you know (laughs) whereas this as we said before is very similar to other episodes we've seen right and we're sitting here i mean i don't know when we recorded ill uh that was what almost 13 14 episodes ago i think that might have also been before my surgery uh so it's probably been a while since we recorded ill uh and i'm still rattling off stuff from that episode and that says a lot to me. Just saying something. Yeah, yeah. When I don't know if I'd be able to do the same thing about this episode, aside from it was on a boat. Yes. All right. So it's going under ill. Alrighty. Yeah. I have to say that I am a little disappointed that this episode was neither about sea monkeys or gremlins. <laughs> that's, 
Okay. <laughs> so it's just kind of adding to. <laughs> That's the grudge that you carry. Adding into this to one. my judgment. Yes, yes, it is. Fantastic. All right. So that leaves us with uh, Just Add Water at number 27, uh, just under ill and just above I don't. All right. Uh, So we got an interesting email this week from Austin. Uh, who he pointed out a neat little wormhole in Daria's reality uh, that we kind of missed in Daria Dance Party. Uh, I just caught up to the Daria Dance Party episode, and I forgot that the Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of Love Roller Coaster was used in the episode. Assuming it's not a mistake and that this cover was used over the original, it got me thinking. The only other place that cover was available, and especially at this time or at the time of this episode was on the official soundtrack for the movie Beavis and Butthead Do America, which, if you've never seen it, Daria is in for one scene, even though it's a non-speaking role. So what do you two think of this? Is it kind of like in that Fast and Furious movie, how Ludacris plays a part in the movie as a character who is not Ludacris, yet at one point there's a Ludacris song on the radio? Uh, do Beavis do Beavis and Butthead exist as a show people in Lawndale are aware of? But Daria also knows them as real people and used to go to the same school and have interactions with them. Oh, my brain just broke. (laughs) Right? Austin sent a follow-up email a few days later to note, I just got to the Lane Miserable episode and I forgot to mention the head shirt that the missing kid from Esteemsters is wearing is actually an MTV's The Head Shirt, which was a short-lived 90s MTV animated show that was fucking wild. But that also shows that apparently the show exists in the Daria universe. So didn't we mention that show in one of our early, yeah, in in the Esteemsters episode? I don't know if we mentioned the show. I know we mentioned the shirt. Okay. Anyway, this is all blowing my mind. This is fantastic. (laughs) I absolutely love every second of this. This is so like, it's such a wonderful little world breaking thing and I'm here for it. For the record, Beavis and Butthead Do America was one of the movies that my my younger brother just watched on repeat all summer long. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was... It's it's there in the background of my brain somewhere, <laughs> and I definitely do remember Daria showing up in it. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the fact that I have spent probably you know probably more than one actual human hour sitting here on this podcast talking about like where is Lawndale? Where is where is everything in Lawndale? How is it a small town but also a gigantic place that has all these different things and you know how does this how does the geography that they've crafted here all piece together and Austin just busts in with like reality is not even what you think it is bro like everything <laughs> is totally different yep expand your mind press <laughs> <laughs> seriously so i cannot imagine that Beavis and Butthead are a popular entity as a cartoon duo and superstars of MTV in the Daria universe, just because I feel like we would hear about it in one form or another at some point. I also like, oh, I don't have any evidence to the contrary. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm totally okay with this idea that it's a tv show that nobody actually talks about but (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm yeah i'm i'm super on board with this i love this idea i i love that daria knew these two famous dipshits and she escapes to lawndale and never talks about them whatsoever but they're hugely popular and on mtv and it's all very good thank you so much for that austin that is I got a fucking kick out of that email, man. (laughs) Fantastic. Honestly, I wanted you to reread it. I I wanted you to read it again because like 
my brain was still processing it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to as well. Like the first time through it, I had to be like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Austin. We, uh, you know, I, I say it every single time, but we absolutely love it when people write in. Uh, and, the, and this was particularly great. All right. Do we want to wrap up this episode? Yes, we do. All right. So that about wraps it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, you can er, check out our Patreon. Uh, you can sign up at patreon.com slash morgandorks for a buck a month. You can support this silly little thing and listen to an unedited version of each podcast uh, a day or two before it airs. Lately, it hasn't been... Uh, Lately, it hasn't been a few days. Lately, it's been like a day just because we've run into you know, some recording stuff and it's tough to get notes together some weeks um, but with how busy I've been and everything. Um, but the, the aim is to usually get the episodes to you two or three days before. Uh, I'm not sure if this one's actually going to get to you guys all that early because I might have, I might have some editing to do just to make it listenable. <laughs> we'll see. Oh my, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as always please feel free to reach out to us on twitter at morgandorks email us at morgandorks at gmail.com or check out our website morgandorks at pod or morgandorks.podbean.com that's p-o-d-b-e-a-n.com uh, we're also on facebook check us out at fb.me slash morgandorks.podcast or just search uh, special thanks as always to outpost diary reborn link is in the show notes as are some links to some articles about the mobro 4000 please check those out uh as always thank you nissa i don't know what for but thank you rob <laughs> <laughs> and thank you listeners we will see you again in two weeks for season three episode 13 we're gonna meet tom sloan jane's edition here on morgan dorks <laughs> <laughs>